Barack Obama tells Americans they're wasting time on fake outrage while the Democratic Party pursues a radical equity agenda. The Biden economic program goes extreme and Anthony Fauci is under fire for experimenting on puppies. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Don't let big tech track what you do. Anonymize your web browsing at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, you may have missed the big news last week, but if you recall, Allison Williams was a reporter at ESPN. She'd already had COVID. She was trying to get pregnant. And so when ESPN hit their entire staff with a vaccine mandate, they said, basically, everybody has to be vaxxed or you're going to get fired. Allison said, well, I'd rather resign than do that. And she quit to oppose the mandate. Right? She actually put her money where her mouth was. And we here at Daily Wire saw, as always, an opportunity when talented people get let go by woke corporations for failing to simply abide by their ridiculous rules. That's an opportunity for us. So we picked up Allison Williams. We announced this on Friday. She's going to be doing a brand new sports special for us. Details to come. We're excited to bring Allison on board. We think it's awesome. We're not only excited to have her talent here, but we're excited to provide a place for people to land when they stand up for the right things at their woke corporations. And we need your help to do that. So please head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code do not comply for 25% off. We did this with Gina Carano. We've now done this with Allison Williams. We'd love to continue doing this. It helps us build because if Hollywood is just going to expel talented people, we are happy to take them in. But beyond that, we also want to provide an alternative. We want to make sure that people know that Hollywood can't just cancel people without us uncanceling them. That is our goal here. We need your help to do that as members. So please head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe and use code do not comply for 25% off and help us fight these jerks. We'll get to all the news in just one moment. First, let me remind you that you're spending way too much money on your cell phone coverage. The simple fact is you think that you need Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile because they have all of the cell phone towers, right? Well, what if you could get the exact same coverage as one of the big guys, except you'd be spending a fraction of the money? Because here's the thing. All those big companies are spending a tremendous amount of money on marketing and overhead and the stores that you never go to. Instead, head on over to Pure Talk USA. Pure Talk doesn't charge you for any of that garbage. Instead, they give you killer 5G coverage on the same 5G network as one of the big guys for about half the cost. The average family is saving over $800 a year. So what exactly is your excuse? I made the switch. You can too. Keep your number, keep your phone, or get huge discounts on the latest iPhones and Androids. Get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data for just 30 bucks a month. And listen, if you still want unlimited data, you can get it and still save a fortune. Go to puretalk.com, shop for the plan that's right for you. They have a 30-day risk-free guarantee, so you literally have nothing to lose. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code SHAPIRO. You will save 50% off your very first month of coverage. That is puretalk.com, promo code SHAPIRO. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Alrighty, so over the weekend... The Glenn Youngkin, Terry McAuliffe race continued to be hot in Virginia. That thing is basically neck and neck. You, you always have to give the edge to the person who is in line with the state registration numbers. The state registration numbers in Virginia tilt toward blue, which means that if you're a betting man, you probably still have to bet on McAuliffe, despite the fact that Youngkin is now running very, very close. But that's kind of the whole point is this was never supposed to be close in the first place. It has gotten so close that now Terry McAuliffe has been forced to call in the reinforcements in the form of Barack Obama, who arrived in Virginia to do what he does best, sneer at enormous number of Americans. It, because Barack Obama is, is both such a good communicator and because he is such a beloved media figure, People seem to ignore the fact that Barack Obama is a giant elitist jerk. Barack Obama spends an enormous amount of his time in politics just sneering at other human beings, just sneering at half the American people and telling them that all of their concerns are, are really just a waste of time, that their concern, the things that they worry about on a day in, day out basis, those are not the highfalutin things that Barack Obama in his ginormous mind worries about. 
And he used to do this all the time as president. He would say, well, why do we have to embrace a false choice? It's a false choice between X and Y. When the real answer is, listen to me and do whatever I want. And this is kind of his shtick. Well, he never went away from that shtick because it worked for him. Politicians find what works for them and then they just keep doing it. So Barack Obama was campaigning for Terry McAuliffe and he did this again, right? The idea is that if you're concerned about any of the issues in Virginia surrounding critical race theory or bathrooms in education or the Loudoun County School Board covering up people being raped in the bathrooms, what, what, if you're concerned about any of that, according to Barack Obama, it's because you're kind of crazy and it's a figment of your imagination and you're wasting your time. Right? Any issue that you deeply care about is a waste of time, according to Barack Obama, because it's fake outrage. Nobody's really outraged. Nobody's truly outraged that the, Loudoun, that the Loudoun County public schools decided to tell the entire public that nobody had been raped in a bathroom. And then it turns out that a girl had been allegedly raped in a bathroom. Nobody is truly outraged over critical race theory, which indeed is being taught in a huge number of American public schools. Nobody, nobody is super worried about that. They're all, it's all fake. It's all pretend. In reality, Everybody that doesn't like Barack Obama is pretending not to like Barack Obama. Deep down, they actually like Barack Obama and Terry McAuliffe and the Democratic Party agenda. It's all fake. So here is Barack Obama pretending that everyone who is not on his side of the aisle is engaged in what he called fake outrage. We don't have time to be wasting on these phony, trumped up culture wars. This fake outrage that that right wing media peddles to juice their ratings. And the fact that he's willing to go along with it instead of talking about serious problems that actually affect serious people, that's a shame. That's not what this election's about. Phony, trumped-up culture wars. Right, so according to the left, anything you're worried about is phony, trumped-up culture wars. Now, you'll notice that there is a trend here. The left does something very radical, and then the right responds to the thing that has been done that is radical. And then the left says, you're engaged in a phony, trumped-up culture war. So... If they decide, for example, just on a very light, kind of minor level, culturally speaking, that, that Superman is no longer going to say truth, justice in the American way, he's going to say truth, justice in a better tomorrow. And you notice this and you say, oh, that's weird. And that seems to reflect a sort of underlying anti-Americanism. That's, that's a phony trumped up culture war. Why are you saying that? When it comes to critical race theory, if it turns out that your children are being told that they bear a, a certain level of historic guilt because of the color of their skin. And you notice this and you say, you know what? I don't want my kids being taught that stuff. Or let's say that in your kid's school library, there is LGBTQ plus radical propaganda for small children in the library. And you say, I don't really want that at the school because you noticed it at the school. That's a phony, trumped up culture war. Why are you paying attention to that? Stop it. Okay, because the idea from the left is that unity can only be achieved if you just don't notice what they are doing. If you just ignore what they're doing, then we can all be unified. Because here's the thing. The people who have pushed the culture war in this country are the people on the left. When you disturb the status quo and when you push in radical directions culturally and then other people notice that you're pushing in a radical direction culturally, it is not they who are being divisive by noticing. It is you who are being divisive by pushing the policy. You see this all over American life right now. You see it with regard to mask policy. You'll have people who say kids have to mask up forever. And then if you notice this and you get mad, they're like, it's a phony Trump culture war. Why are you so upset? Well, maybe it's because you're the one who's mandating that I put a a cloth mask on my five-year-old. Maybe it's that. If you change the status quo and people notice you changing the status quo and people are angry overwhelmingly at you changing the status quo, the problem is not them. Maybe the problem is you. The reason I bring this up is because this is the entire Biden administration in a nutshell. They're pushing extremely radical policy. And then when you note that they are pushing extremely radical policy, then they say it's a phony trumped up culture war. 
So to take a perfect example, right now we have a supply chain crisis in the United States and it's leading to higher prices. We have a blowout spending crisis that we have created over the course of the last two years, partially explainable because of the COVID pandemic, particularly some of the financial activity last year. But this year, not so much. We've just been blowing out the spending for no particular reason other than that Joe Biden wants to fundamentally shift the way we do economics in this country. Okay, so we have a major inflationary crisis. We have millions of people who are not re-entering the workforce. We have a border crisis in which we have record numbers of people who are crossing the southern border illegally. We have a complete surrender on the foreign policy front to the Taliban in Afghanistan. We have a very threatening China on the rise. Those would be the kind of serious issues that Barack, that serious people talk about, in the words of Barack Obama, right? Those are the serious issues that serious people talk about. So what would you call an administration that is deploying its useless vice president to talk about the national gender strategy? Would that be serious people talking about serious topics? Now, I imagine that Barack Obama would consider this a serious person talking about a serious topic. Because that's not a phony culture war. That's a thing that requires real change. According to the left, when the left declares a culture war, they're not declaring a culture war. They're fighting back against the pillars of the institutional hierarchy that must be torn to the ground. So again, while this administration is experiencing crisis after crisis that is affecting real lives, and the polls show it, right now Americans care more than anything else about issues like bread and butter butter issues, inflation, job creation. Are people going to get back to work? Are there going to be products on the shelves? Am I going to have to compete in my local community with vast swaths of illegal immigrants who are coming in without any sort of papers? Or am I going to have to deploy more taxpayer dollars in order to help those people? Are we going to be able to fight off the rising threat of China? Right? These are real world issues. Instead of doing that, this administration is declaring culture wars. So Kamala Harris, who again was selected solely on the basis of her race and gender. Okay, literally, Joe Biden said this. He said, I am looking for a person who is a black woman. Okay, which meant that it was not about her qualifications as a politician, per se, she'd run a horrible campaign to this point and slandered him in the course of the campaign. Now, I'm old enough to remember, because I'm more than two years old, when I was defending Joe Biden against Kamala Harris. And then he picked her as his VP because he needed a black woman on the ticket to fulfill all the intersectional criteria. Again, that's not a culture war. When he does that, it's not a culture war. Only when you notice it's a culture war. So VP Kamala Harris, who is so useless that she has to have her own crisis management team. She put out a tweet over the weekend in the middle of all of these crises. Here's what it said, quote, President Biden and I released the first ever national gender strategy. This is our vision for the future of our nation, one that is bold in strategy and one that this moment calls for. So you might first be asking yourself, what in the hell is a national gender strategy? And really, what, what does that even mean? Like gender exists. That's, that's like saying a national human strategy. What are we talking about here? Well, you know what they're talking about. What they're talking about is the fundamental principle of this foolish movement on the left, which is that every inequality in American life can be struck up, uh, can be chalked up to structural inequalities, can be chalked up to the structural evils of the American system. And so in the middle of an economic crisis, in the middle of all these other crises, they're focused like a laser in on the fact that some women choose not to work in the same industries as some men. Now, realistically speaking, there are more women in college than men. There are many, many more women with graduate degrees than men. According to studies, women fresh into the workforce with the same qualifications as men are making the same amount or more than men are in most major American cities. Okay, but according to Kamala Harris, because again, this is a, we want to talk about a phony trumped up culture war. The notion that women are widely relegated to second class status in the United States is a lie. Okay, it is just a stupid lie that is easily falsifiable. And Kamala Harris is put, you want to talk about a phony trumped up culture? This would be it. 
This is also part of what, what Barack Obama did back in 2012, and he declared that Mitt Romney had declared some sort of war on women. Yes, Mitt Romney, the most milquetoast human being ever to be born on this planet. So what exactly is their national gender strategy? According to the White House, President Biden and Vice President Harris believe that advancing gender equity and equality is fundamental to every individual's economic security, safety, health, and ability to exercise their most basic rights. It is also essential to economic growth and development, democracy and political stability, and the security of nations across the globe. Ensuring that all people, regardless of gender, have the opportunity to realize their full potential is therefore both a moral and strategic imperative. Moral, it's, it's a strategic imperative, right? To compete with other nations, we have to make sure that there are gender-neutral toy aisles at the, local, at the local target. Very, very important stuff here. One of the things I enjoy the most about the left is that they all talk like Kendall from Succession. I've ever watched Succession on HBO. Kendall is one of the characters on Succession. And all he does is he uses sort of murky, PC, lefty tech jargon. So everything is synergistic. Right? That's how these people talk. They just string together words that make no sense together in a paragraph of gobbledygook and then declare themselves morally superior. So says the White House. No country in the world has achieved gender equality. And we are at an inflection point. Well, maybe the reason that no country in the world has achieved, quote unquote, gender equality. Like, what do you mean by gender equality? What they mean is every outcome is the same. Maybe the reason not every outcome is the same is because men and women are different. I know, very controversial stuff here. What the statistics show, by the way, is that countries that have the widest social safety nets, like in Northern Europe, the ones that Bernie Sanders loves the most, also have the most gender discrepancy in terms of, for example, STEM jobs. It turns out that when women don't have to work STEM jobs, they don't like working STEM jobs as much. This should not be a surprise. Men and women, on a broad level, on average, have different preferences. Doesn't mean you can't have female STEM technicians. Doesn't mean that you can't have female engineers. You can. But they are going to be far more rare in a free choice society than in a non-free choice society. But so long as that discrepancy exists, we have to fight back against reality. The wokes are at war with reality. They're at war, in many cases, with nature. And then when you notice this, they say that you have declared a phony trumped-up culture war. It's, it's true gaslighting. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, if you've got a small business, you know there's nothing more valuable than your time, so stop wasting it on trips to the post office. Stamps.com makes it easy to mail and ship directly from your computer. Save time and money with Stamps.com. Send letters and packages for less with discounted rates from USPS, UPS, and more. Here at Daily Wire, we've used Stamps.com since 2017. No more wasting our time. Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly 1 million businesses, including for us here at Daily Wire. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping directly to your computer. Whether you're in an office sending invoices or a side hustle Etsy shop or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need, a computer and standard printer, no special supplies or equipment. Within minutes, you're up and running. You're printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send it. And you get tremendous discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Save time and money with stamps.com. No risk. With my promo code Shapiro, you get a special offer. It includes a four-week trial plus free postage and digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in Shapiro. That is stamps.com. Promo code Shapiro. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Okay, so according to the White House, again, very important that we have a national gender plan. They say the COVID-19 pandemic has fueled a health crisis, an economic crisis, and a caregiving crisis that have magnified the challenges that women and girls, especially women and girls of color, have long faced. Now, I just quick note here, men die at a higher rate than women do of COVID-19. So if we're talking about maybe that's, is that because society is structured to advantage women? Or is it because men and women are different? 
It has also exacerbated, they say, a shadow pandemic of gender-based violence in the United States and around the world. These overlapping crises have underscored that for far too long, the status quo has, been, has left too many behind. I do enjoy the Biden administration preaching to us about gender-based violence after abandoning 19 million women to the Taliban. There's just a certain irony to the Taliban beheading women who refuse to follow their diktats with regard to dress, while the Biden administration is like, well, you know, we really do care deeply about gender parity. This moment, says the White House, demands that we build back better. It requires that we acknowledge and address longstanding gender discrimination and the systemic barriers to full participation that have held back women and girls. Okay, what exactly are those longstanding barriers to full participation? Um, they don't really name them. They just say that anywhere there is a discrepancy, then there must be a, a discrimination problem. Anywhere there's a disparity, there must be discrimination. They say this strategy adopts an intersectional approach. There we go. I mean, it's just, it's all left-wing radical buzzwords. And if you notice, again, if I notice this, if I, if I were a politician and I campaigned on this, Barack Obama would then say, why are you paying attention to that? Why aren't you paying attention to the fundamentals, the bread and butter? Because you're not. And we can see it. It's in plain sight. It is Terry McAuliffe who declared in Virginia that parents should not be involved in choosing the educations of their children. That was Terry McAuliffe who said that. Not Glenn Youngkin. Okay, but if you notice it, then you're bad. This is why so many people are enraged with the media because they feel like the media just act as a cover strategy for these, for these folks. These, these people preach radicalism and then the media cover for them. And then when you notice it, the media say, why are you noticing that? According to the White House, the strategy adopts an intersectional approach that considers the barriers and challenges faced by those who experience intersecting and compounding forms of discrimination and bias related to gender, race, and other factors, including sexual orientation, ethnicity, religion, disability, age, and socioeconomic status. This includes addressing discrimination and bias faced by Black, Latino, and Indigenous and Native American people, Asian Americans, Native Americans, Pacific Islanders, and other people of color. Sorry, you have to say it all in one breath or Beetlejuice appears since it is all one giant woke term. Again, the entire underlying notion here is that if there is any discrepancy between men and women, it must be because the system is unfair and you should give full power to Joe Biden in this administration in order to correct those discrepancies. Okay, and unless you think that this is only with regard to sexual discrepancies, Kamala Harris, your, your gender warrior, she also makes clear that this is about racial discrepancies. Anytime there's a discrepancy in American life, Anytime there's a disparity in American life, it must be discrimination. And the only way, you'll be shocked to learn this, the only way to rectify these imbalances is to give these people more power to completely take over the economic system and redistribute as they see fit. But if you're not, see, now to me, that seems like a very basic root issue. If the entire case that you're making for more power is that bad things happen in life, give us all the power and we will fix all the bad things. And by bad things, we mean differential consequences, that stem, in many cases, from differential decision-making. They understand that in a free market capitalist system, your decisions are generally rewarded or punished based on the utility of your action. If you make a bad decision, you tend to be punished in the real world. Reality does this. But the entire basis of Democratic Party policy now is that if somebody does something smart and is rewarded, and then if somebody does something dumb and is not rewarded, this is in and of itself bad. This is why they like to chalk everything up to luck, right? This is the, the language they use with regard to wealth is always the more fortunate and the less fortunate. Well, I'm sorry, but Jeff Bezos isn't just, quote unquote, more fortunate. If you look at his life story and you looked at his childhood, you'd say that guy is not super fortunate. Okay, but he made many, many good decisions. The complete disconnecting and the overt disconnecting between positive action and positive results is a goal of many people in politics. They want to insulate you from your own decision making. 
And that's comfortable for a lot of people because it means that if you fail, that's not your failure, that's society's failure. So here's Kamala Harris suggesting that every injustice is linked with economic injustice. So she says racial injustice is linked with economic injustice. The notion, of course, being that if there is disparity in the wealth holdings between black and white in the United States, that is entirely due to current day discrimination, which is entirely false. If you want to say that that is due in in certain measure, that we have not yet really disclosed, that that is due in certain measure to historic injustices, that's inarguable. That's not the argument that Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are making. The argument they're making is that any disparity between black and white wealth holdings today is because the system today, today, like right now, is racist. And we have to completely redo the economic system to give them more power to presumably redistribute along the lines of race. Here's Kamala Harris pushing this. Racial injustice today is inextricably linked to economic injustice, to the impact of the climate crisis, to the impact of COVID-19, and to the threats to our democracy. And I believe then, knowing and seeing that, the path forward is clear. We must put people to work in good union jobs. Oh, weird. So, like, you could completely disregard everything she said in the first part of that statement and just finish with the last part of the statement. You should therefore do this thing I want you to do. So she just throws all these buzzwords out there. Climate justice and the environment and COVID-19 and the fact that there aren't enough women around the world who can access tampons and the fact that that there are wild injustices in the way that small children are being treated in Bangladesh, right? Like, she's just throwing everything against the wall. And then at the very end, she's like, oh, yeah, and because the world is filled with injustices and bad things, therefore, do this thing I want you to do. Okay, now, here, this is why when Barack Obama says things, like, this is fake outrage. It's not fake outrage because your entire strategy is tied up in a generalized viewpoint that delivers and, and must deliver culture war. The culture warrior here, the culture warriors here are on the left, and it is part and parcel of a of a, an ideological agenda to rejigger all of humanity. Understand there's a fundamental debate here about the nature of human beings. So on the right, you have people who believe that there is such a thing as a fundamental human nature, that people are both capable of sin and people are capable of great things, and that you have a free ability as much as humanly possible to make choices within that context that drive you toward success or toward failure. You as a human being are given the ability to reason. You have a prefrontal cortex, and this allows you to make decisions and be held responsible by reality for those decisions. And reality tends to punish bad decisions. And then you have people who believe, it's a very left-wing viewpoint, that human nature is entirely malleable, that reality counts for nothing, and that if you shift the systems in which we live, then that will transform humanity into something better. That is the root messianic vision of the left. It's something that Marx talks about. He really never talks about human nature. What he does talk about is human beings as sort of widgets who are shaped by the environment in which they live. Now, there's a, a lot of self-contradiction there because the idea is also that people at the top levels get to reshape the systems in which we live, which means that they are free of the burdens of being widgets. But if, you're, but if you put that aside, the basic idea here is give Kamala Harris and company enough power and they will reshape all of the systems and thus usher in a new era for humanity in which all of the bad things will disappear, all of them. Economic justice will happen and then everything that follows will just be wonderful. There will be equity and equality and every other word beginning with E, including elephantitis. All of those things will just happen all at once. And this is being preached by this administration through and through. This is not an irrelevant side battle. This is the battle. Okay, and all these little 
issues that we argue about on a day-by-day basis, whether it is CRT or whether it is transgender bathrooms, all these little issues are merely little blips on the surface of the underlying debate, which is very vast and very deep and really matters a lot. Okay, so this administration continues to foster the notion that any inequality in American life is due to inequity, is due to unjustness. Merrick Garland, remember this guy was supposed to be milquetoast. He was supposed to be bland, Merrick Garland. When he was picked as AG, this guy was a representative of the law. Now he just targets parents who are complaining about critical race theory. Merrick Garland gave a speech the other day in which he talked about the racial inequalities in American life in terms of, for example, the wealth gap. Redlining contributed to large racial, to the large racial wealth gap that exists in this country. The practice made it extremely difficult for people of color to accumulate wealth through the purchase, refinancing, or repair of their homes. That discrepancy in wealth is clearly reflected in current home ownership rates. Today, a white family is 30% more likely to own a home than a black family. This present-day gap in home ownership rates is larger than it was in 1960. Okay, perhaps the reason that the black home ownership rate is larger than it was in 1960 is not due to additional racism in the system. Maybe that is due to a giant welfare state that incentivizes bad behavior. Maybe it's that. In fact, so Glenn Lowry, who's an economist over at Brown University, he does an excellent podcast, and he has conversations with other economists, and he speaks very often with them about race and inequality and all of this. So he writes this week, In my recent discussion with historian David Kaiser, he noted the vast majority of racial wealth disparities between black and white Americans occurs among the top 10% of the income distribution, while black-white disparity in the bottom 50% are very, very small. Okay, the way that you hear Merrick Garland talking, the idea is that all black people are 30% less likely than all white people to own houses. That's not right. Okay, what is being suggested here by the historian David Kaiser is that if you look at people in the bottom half of the income distribution, their economic lives look very similar. It is only at the very top end where you have a wide discrepancy in terms of wealth ownership. Moreover, says David Kaiser, between 1940 and 1980, black home ownership rates rose slightly faster than white home ownership rates. Those numbers tend to deflate the narrative that redlining excluded blacks from the economic boom that followed the New Deal and World War II. It also happens to be the fact that while redlining was undoubtedly had a, was racist and had a racial component, while that is true, by the late 1960s, by the, by the 1970s, that was illegal under federal law. So we've had two generations of that being illegal under federal law. Not only that, it turns out the vast majority of people who are living in redlined districts, as pointed out by John McHorter in the New York Times, again, these, these folks are not wild conservatives. John McHorter is a, is a typical down-the-line Democrat when it comes to his voting habits. When it comes to redline districts, some 85% of people who are living in redline districts were white, which suggests that a lot of those redline districts had a lot to do with the income of those districts and maybe something to do with race, but it wasn't entirely due to race. And according to that historian, David Kaiser, and I'm pointing this stuff out because, again, the idea is that any inequality that exists today is because the system today is bad. Even, by the way, if you believe that it was be only entirely because of redlining, that would not explain what you're supposed to do today. Are you supposed to discriminate against people today in favor of discrimination in the past? I mean, that's Ibram X. Kennedy's solution. Okay, according to David Kaiser, the black population was not left out of the economic gains generated by the New Deal, the Second World War, and the immediate post-war period. It gained more rapidly during that period than it has since. That tells me that progress depends a lot more on the general economic climate and the government's policy toward lower-income Americans than it does on the extent of racism, since legal racism was, was much worse in the earlier period than since 1980. According to Samuel Cronin, writing for Quillette, 
The wealth gap perfectly illustrates a problem with using statistical disparities to diagnose and address social issues. An analysis by the People's Policy Project, which is a left-leaning institute, reflects just one of the problems with what Coleman Hughes has called the disparity fallacy by uncovering an element of the racial wealth gap that's gone unremarked upon in most mainstream discourse. The gap between the wealthiest 10% of the white population and the wealthiest 10% of the black population accounts for 77.5% of the total wealth gap. In other words, when you look at the, the average wealth gap, that is a misleading stat because basically what you're saying is that the wealthiest white Americans are a lot wealthier than the wealthiest black Americans. But when you get below the wealthiest 10%, the disparities start to disappear. Although the racial wealth gap exists to some degree across class lines, if we were to eliminate the disparity between the bottom 50% of blacks and whites in terms of wealth, a full 97% of the total gap would remain. Only 3% of the racial wealth gap is explained by the disparity between the poorer half of each population, which is the part that we're focused on when you talk about, for example, Merrick Garland saying it's much easier for a white person to get a house than for a black person to get a house. Okay, nobody is worried about whether... Jeff Bezos has a bigger house than Kanye, right? That is not the wealth gap that we are concerned about. You're concerned, theoretically, about the wealth gap for the bottom 50%, which statistically is much, much more of a minor issue. But you have to pretend that it's a much bigger issue in order to call for world-beating change. And this is true across this administration. Again, across this administration, everything inevitably is about the, the notion that inequality and inequity are exactly the same thing. And this is being, in, and your kids are being indoctrinated with this. So UNC Chapel Hill is now giving out mandatory woke training. According to Hot Air, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill recently held a mandatory training session for all Greek organizations on campus. Carolina Review, the campus conservative newspaper, got leaked audio from the training and also spoke to people who attended. Apparently, the person who was speaking here, whose name is Parl, started a presentation with an indigenous land recognition after which hundreds of Greek attendees were advised they should make a habit of repeating the political catechism in their daily lives and taught how to do so. After establishing her lecture was on stolen land, Parle asked students their feelings about the system. Were they warm toward it, apathetic, or ready to dismantle it? At this point, Parle started talking about the role of identity and the social constructs which define them, a subject which introduced the presentation and remained a focal point throughout. She emphasized that identity is a primary factor in life experience, explaining that identity guides the way you navigate the world. And students were instructed to write their intersectional identities like sex and race and sexual orientation and body size on a, on a piece of paper. And here's what it sounded like. How many of you go to the grocery store and you need somebody to help you with the top shelf? Okay, so you've got a good number of you. That is a system of oppression. It means that every Okay, I'm sorry. This is insanity, but this, again, this goes back to the idea that any disparity is some form of, she literally says in this presentation, okay, this is not, now, because I'm discussing a woke training session at UNC Chapel Hill, this is what Barack Obama would call a culture war that is fake outrage. Okay, except that it goes to the heart of left-wing ideology right now. This lady is speaking to it. She literally says that if you have to reach for the top shelf at a grocery store, because you can't reach it, you have to ask somebody else to help, you have suffered oppression. Right? Every single person in the room, she says, has benefited from oppression and suffered from oppression because the world was built for the average. 
Okay, so I just have a question. Who else would it be built for? What is her proposed solution? Should we have, presumably, the the height of the shelves, because it's built for the average person, should it be built for the lowest common denominator? Presumably, that means that all shelves at the grocery store should only be about three foot five high, and you'd have to lease twice the space at the grocery store in order to fit everything. You'd have to have a much, much bigger store in order to be able to even lay out the goods. So, so that nobody has to take the horrifying step of asking a, a person who works at the store or a person walking down the aisle to reach something for them. By the way, I, I'll just note here that actually it creates a sort of communal comedy, the fact that people have to ask each other for help sometimes. That's not the end of the world. You know, I was at Target the other day and there was a lady there and she'd lost her glasses and she couldn't read the label on the bottom of a lamp that she wanted to buy. So she asked me for help and I read it for her and we kind of smiled at each other. We moved on. That wasn't a bad thing. She wasn't oppressed. But, but the idea here, again, is that all structures of oppression are bad. And how are you going to dismantle them? Okay, that, that's not a mild cultural issue. And it has ramifications for everything across all areas of American life. Right, this is how you end up with videos from BuzzFeed about how you have six separate genders. And if society doesn't take into account six separate genders, that's because society is oppressive. When you get to the point where everybody's subjective identity is supposed to be accepted, celebrated, and built for by the society then you can't have a society at all because literally this stuff is subjective. It changes on a moment's notice. You have no objective way of verifying any of that. You can't construct a society. The point is the chaos. The point is the confusion. It is the same as the gobbledygook that is being spewed by this administration in justification of radical economic policy. It is all part of the same deal, which is that there will be no objective reality to which we all answer. That will just disappear into the ether. And any objective reality is a form of oppression. It is a form of oppression. If somebody doesn't accept that you call yourself a unicorn, it is a form of oppression if you have to reach for the top shelf. And it is a form of oppression if there's one group of people in the United States that is poorer than another group of people in the United States. And you don't even have to look at whether there is a disparity between how people in one group act in the aggregate, not individually, in the aggregate. You don't have to look at the historic circumstances. And you don't have to look at whether the corrective to that might be more of a problem than the actual problem itself. And so here's how... In terms of gender, it manifests as just complete gobbledygook, sheer insanity. Here, here we go from this insane BuzzFeed video. What is your gender? I identify female. I am male. For me, there's a little bit of a difference um, between gender and gender expression. I would say my, is it fem? I can't say the word fem. <laughs> my gender is feminine. I was born anatomically, scientifically, doctors were like, that's a girl. Mm -hmm. But as I grew up, I was like, that doesn't really work yeah. for me. I feel like I'm a more masculine person. Like a, like a cis male is what, mm -hmm. like, I know, I, I think I would classify as that as well, but I'm just like, I'm so uneducated. All that yeah. All that I, I guess I never questioned it either, to yeah. be honest with you. So. It's a matter of education, right? It's a matter of indoctrination. I'm just uneducated. None of these people know what they're talking about because it's complete nonsense. But the idea is that if all of reality is not reconstructed to fit their particular identities, then society itself is oppressive. There is no more, you cannot have a society this way. What you can have is sheer, sheer tyranny. You can have people who are empowered to fix every problem in American life and protect you from the vicissitudes of an actual real world that is not, that is going to bite back against you. See, this is the stupidity of all this. We can play this navel gazing game where we pretend that all of these systems of reality no longer apply because we become so wealthy and so fat. Maybe we can do that, but eventually reality will win because reality is still out there. Reality is still reality. If we decide that just as a society, we're going to embrace stupidity, societies that don't embrace stupidity are going to benefit and flourish in the reality that exists. 
And those ones will overtake us. It is that simple. People who deny reality lose. Societies that deny reality lose. I root for reality because I think that reality always wins anyway. It's like rooting for the Yankees. Eventually, they're always going to win. Okay, we'll get to the economic plans of this administration, which again are tied in very heavily to this underlying ideological remolding and reshaping of humanity in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that your gas prices right now are just out of control, out of control. Somebody showed me the gas price in California yesterday. Some people are paying like seven bucks a gallon, up to eight bucks a gallon. You know what you could use? Some money back on that. This is why you need to get an incredible app that everyone who buys gas needs to know about. Get Upside. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Shapiro, get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up that is up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside today. Just download that app for free. Use promo code Shapiro to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on that very first tank of gas. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two or 300 bucks a month in cash back. There is no catch. The cash back gets added directly to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Get Upside app. Use promo code Shapiro to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your very first tank of gas. That is code Shapiro. Go check out that Get Upside app right now. Use promo code Shapiro. Get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank of gas and up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas thereafter. Alrighty, folks, Disney did it again. Now we're not talking about your average sort of propagandistic film. As you may have heard last week, the entertainment Goliath fired Allison Williams, essentially. Right? They forced her to resign because she wasn't going to vaccinate. And they have a vaccine mandate over there. She announced her resignation. Her decision did not go unnoticed, specifically by us. And she said that she had already had COVID. She wanted to get pregnant. She was concerned about the vaccine. She didn't want to get the vax. And so she left because she still believes in freedom to choose whether you're going to inject yourself with a vaccine for, to, to prevent a disease that has a very low chance of killing you. We at Daily Wire are very much against these vaccine mandates. Right? We said that from the very beginning. And so we went out of our way to sign Allison Williams to lead a very special sports series exclusively for our members. More details to come. We're excited to do this, right? Our goal here is to uncancel those who are canceled, to provide a place for people to land when they don't wish to bow to the leftist headmasters at their institutions. Here at The Daily Wire, leftist elites are not going to dictate our content. You do, and we need your help, right? For us to continue doing this sort of stuff, we do need your help. If you want premium entertainment and sports content without the woke, become a member at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code do not comply at checkout for 25% off. We're building a movement against the leftist Hollywood machine and Joe Biden's unconstitutional mandate, but we need your help. So go to dailywire.com slash subscribe today. Code do not comply for 25% off and join the fight. Also, if you want to wake up to the facts rather than the legacy media's neatly spun lies, I highly recommend our newest podcast, Morning Wire. Not only has it been topping those Apple and Spotify charts since its release, it is the only daily podcast that values your time and the truth. And while we are working overtime to bring you the news you need to know, we need your help to keep the facts trending toward number one. So subscribe, start listening right now to Morning Wire on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. You're listening to the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Alrighty, so what is all of this wokeness and radicalism in service to? Control. It's in service to more economic control. Now, what's amazing about the economic control that's currently being leveraged by the Biden administration is that it is resulting in bad things like right away. If you go back and listen to my podcast at the beginning of the year before Biden took office, I said that Biden was going to take office. And my prediction was he was going to have a solid two years of economic growth, like really, really good economic growth, because all he had to do was sit there and be a tree stump. And he was actually qualified for that, right? He's barely alive. He maybe performs basic photosynthesis functions at this point, but that's pretty much it. So all he had to do was sit there 
and drink insurer through a straw and watch Matlock for two years. And the economy was going to grow because we're going to come out of the pandemic. Everybody was going to go back to work. And that was going to be that. Instead, he decided, no, no, no. We need to blow out the spending. We need to freak everybody out about COVID for no apparent reason at this point. We're just going to freak everybody out. And the predictable results have been bad. And so now you have the amazing spectacle of this administration actively talking down expectations, actively telling you, you need to expect less. Expect less. By the way, this is always a great dating strategy. On a first date, you should always tell the person you're dating to expect less. Now, politics is a constant date, right? Because no one ever really gets married in politics. At the very end, you have to decide, you know, whether you're going to vote for somebody or not, but then they have to run for re-election. Okay, so you know it is a bad date strategy. You go on the first date and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to tell you. I may look good right now, but you really got to have set your expectations low. Like really lower those expectations. That would be a good indicator that you need to get up and run from the room. But that's exactly what this administration is now doing because their policies suck. Here is Jen Psaki saying from the perch at the White House that we need to expect less from Joe Biden on gas prices. It turns out this is their line across pretty much everything now. I think the president, as we, as I said earlier, was quite candid last night, as the American people should express from him, uh, expect from him and from any president. Um, and there are limitations to what any president can do as it relates to gas prices. Here's what we have been doing. As we've said for some time, we are engaging broadly with OPEC uh, on our concerns at a range of levels. Um, and that is something we will continue to do. Lower your expectations. Vox has an entire piece today titled, It's time for Americans to buy less stuff. And this is going to be good for you. According to Terry Nguyen, who's writing for Vox, it's going to be good for you. It'll make your life better. Quote, the alternative isn't a moral neutral. Must we continue to drown in our unlimited and unfettered need for more stuff? Or could we start buying less? We should just stop. This would be good for you. You understand? You always thought that having the ability to buy what you want and having it delivered on time was a good thing. Wrong you are. It turns out we should reframe the conversation around sustainable living. Turns out you should be happy with less. Your life is better with less. Your life getting materially worse is better for you spiritually. According to Daniel Fisher, assistant professor at the School of Sustainability at Arizona State University, people often assume they're adopting a lower quality of life by owning and buying less. We need to flip this narrative around, he says, and emphasize how sustainability allows you to have a better quality of life. It's not about renunciation, but choice. In a consumer society, he says, our base impulse is to desire material goods that satisfy our needs. People have fundamental needs, food, shelter, safety, and more advanced, self-actualized wants. Most people aren't aware of how to discern those motivations. They buy because they feel like it. Fisher believes people can be trained to break out of this cycle of consumption. Okay, so understand, they're not making this as like a spiritual, religious claim that we should cling to the spiritual and eternal, right? This is not their claim. Their claim is instead that you should be happy now, that you can't buy, like, Actually, the Biden administration is doing you a favor by making you not be able to buy stuff for Christmas. That's actually very exciting stuff. It's it's really, it's great. It's great. So what exactly are the Democrats now doing with regard to policy? They're trying to blow out the spending and make it worse. If you want inflation to get worse, what you do is put more money in people's pockets without a consummate rise in the supply of goods. As Milton Friedman famously explained, inflation is anywhere and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. Putting more money in people's pockets when there are not enough goods to go around creates inflation. So Janet Yellen, who is now the Treasury Secretary, and again, I'm not upset that Janet Yellen's the Treasury Secretary. I'm I'm upset she was ever the head of the Fed. It just demonstrates how, quote unquote, nonpartisan the Fed is, that a person can shift directly from being Federal Reserve Chair to being Treasury Secretary under the succeeding administration without even a gap in policymaking. 
So Janet Yellen was asked by Jake Tapper why Joe Biden's throw money at everybody policies won't superheat inflation. Uh, suffice it to say, she doesn't do great with us. If the American economy is already overheating, is spending even more money potentially pouring gas on the inflation fire? Well, the additional spending in the infrastructure package and in the Build Back Better package, um, both of those are spending over 10 years, not in a single year. Uh, the rescue package uh, did involve substantial spending this year. And um, let's remember that uh, a benefit of that package is that unemployment is declined to 4.8%. She's lying to you. The idea is that without the ridiculous spending package passed on purely partisan lines earlier this year, unemployment wouldn't have declined. Um, no, I'm pretty sure unemployment would have declined given the fact that people had gotten the vaccine and were going back to work. You know how I know that? Because unemployment never even spiked in many red states where people sort of treated COVID more casually. So there's that. So Janet Yellen is just lying to you now, right? That if they blow out the spending, it's not going to create more inflation. And so some people are rightly asking, okay, so you have a few problems. One, you want to spend a lot of money. You want to blow out the debt. You, you also would, would like to restructure how work is done and you're causing people to drop out of the workforce. So a lot of problems. So the Democrats' solution is yet again something else that they have pursued. It's amazing how every Democratic problem has a solution that drives you further along this path. Everything is more cowbell, right? It's all SNL, Will Ferrell, more cowbell. You got a problem with inflation? Throw more money at it. The problem with the, with the monetary inflation is, is getting worse. Well, we could throw more money at it. And, and then what if we don't have enough money? Well, what we could do is we could take other people's money, which is what we wanted to do in the first place. Okay, it's not a bug of the system, it's a feature. So now this administration is claiming that they want to redo how taxes are done. Okay, particularly for people who are very wealthy. So just understand, anytime people on the left say that a tax policy is going to begin with the wealthy, it never ends with the wealthy. Remember, the original income tax proposed by Woodrow Wilson was something like 8% on people in the top 1%. Okay, now it's a huge percentage on everybody. So it's pretend nonsense where you institute a tax and it just applies to these five people. And it's going to stay that way forever. It never stays that way. Because as soon as the government gets its foot in the door, it just wedges its shoulder. And soon enough, it's in your house eating all the eggs out of your fridge. Okay, so here is Nancy Pelosi promoting a wealth tax. Now, it is not clear at all whether this is constitutional. Like a, a tax on actual unrealized gain, federally speaking, very questionable whether this is constitutional, given the fact we had to pass an amendment to even allow the income tax. But here's Nancy Pelosi now promoting the idea of a wealth tax. We probably will have a wealth tax. Yeah. But again, it's only 10% of what we need. We, and we, the other things are more like $800 billion versus $200 billion. But we can use them another time. If they don't go away as a source of revenue to pay for how we go forward. And we want to pay for But you said you probably do. will have a wealth tax. Well, that is, it, it will, it will see. We haven't seen the bill yet. Right. And you said also that it's being written right now and you're going to, and you're going to send it to the. This is a Senate proposal. Okay. And they supposedly are writing it today. Tomorrow they would introduce it and then tax the uh, joint tax committee is the one that says this is how much you get from that. Okay. Jenny Yellen also wants a wealth tax. Now, here's the thing. They all understand that the predictable effect of taxing unrealized capital gains is that people are going to invest less. Everybody knows this. Here's Janet Yellen trying to push it anyway. I think what's under consideration is a proposal that uh, Senator Wyden and the Senate Finance Committee have been looking at that 
would um, impose um, a tax on unrealized capital gains um, on liquid assets held by extremely wealthy individuals, billionaires. Um, I wouldn't call that a wealth tax, but um, it would help get at uh, capital gains, which um, are an extraordinarily large part of the incomes of the wealthiest individuals. Unrealized capital gains are not a part. If you don't realize a capital gain, you're not receiving that as income. If I don't sell stock, I didn't receive the upside of the stock. Unless I also get to write off unrealized losses as tax losses. But you don't. Right? It only works in one direction. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, a child's life is molded by his or her home, school, friends, community. A positive experience in all these areas helps build a healthy child. Cars for Kids, that's Cars with a K, is a registered nonprofit organization aimed at giving children the tools to succeed in life. If you have a car that's just sitting in your driveway, taking up space, you should consider donating it to Cars for Kids. You know Cars for Kids. They've got that jingle, right? The one eight seven seven cars for kids K-A-R-S. You know it. If you're tired of looking at that old car in your driveway or hearing your spouse complain about it, why not let Cars for Kids take care of it for you? Here's how it works. Visit their website at carsforkids.org slash Ben. Let them take care of it from there. The whole process only takes two minutes. Cars for Kids will schedule a pickup at a time that's convenient for you. If you don't have a car, you can still help. Cars for Kids accepts non-cash donations of school supplies, clothing, sports equipment, and more. So what exactly are you waiting for? Call now or visit carsforkids.org slash Ben to get the ball rolling today. That's Cars with a K, the number four, at carsforkids.org slash Ben. That's carsforkids.org slash Ben. So this is an insane proposal. It is a crazy proposal. So the Democrats are now proposing that for the people who are the wealthiest in our society, as adjudicated by some sort of valuation of their stock port portfolio, publicly traded, maybe not publicly traded, we really have no idea. We are now going to force them to pay taxes on unrealized gains on their stocks. So you own stock probably, right? Over 50% of Americans do. Every year, you get your 401k report. Let's say that your 401k went up 10% this year. And this is conceptually speaking. Your 401k went up 10%. You didn't sell any of that stock. Did you realize any of that gain? Of course not. That's unrealized gain. They're now proposing that for people who are very wealthy, that they be taxed on unrealized gain, on stock they did not sell. That's nuts. That's nuts. First of all, you'd have to figure out exactly how the valuation is done because a huge number of quote unquote billionaires are people who are not in a publicly traded stock. Right? There are a lot of billionaires across the United States who own companies valuated at over a billion dollars, but the stock is not fluid. It is not liquid. It is not fungible. Right? You can't take that stock and just sell it on the open market. Okay, or if you did sell it to sort of the highest available bidder, you might undercut the price of the stock. According to the Democrats, quote, a new annual tax on billionaires unrealized capital gains is likely to be included to help pay for the vast social policy and climate package lawmakers hope to finalize this week, according to senior Democrats, Wall Street Journal reporting. The proposal under consideration from Senate Finance Committee Chairman Ron Wyden, Democrat of Oregon, would impose an annual tax on unrealized capital gains on liquid assets held by billionaires. And then you heard Yellen say that you wouldn't call that a wealth tax, but it is a wealth tax. Groups such as the National Taxpayers Union have objected to the tax on billionaires unrealized capital gains, saying it would add more bureaucracy to the tax system and impose new burdens on business investors. The tax is expected to affect people with a billion dollars in assets or $100 million in income for three consecutive years, according to a person familiar with the discussions. The idea for which Biden recently expressed support after excluding it from his original campaign plans would affect a narrower group of people than the capital gains changes that have already flopped among congressional Democrats. 
The emerging widened proposal would be significantly more progressive. It would raise its money from the very, very rich, likely fewer than a thousand taxpayers instead of the merely rich. But House Democrats are questioning whether it makes sense to add a relatively untested idea at this late stage. The proposal under consideration would focus on unrealized gains if it is, and it is expected to include a one-time tax on gains to date. Which means a tech company founder with $5 billion, almost all of which is unrealized gains, would be taxed more heavily than someone who just inherited $5 billion and has no unrealized gains under the tax codes. I think it's likely I'm pushing hard, said Elizabeth Warren. So just to understand this, this means that if you founded a company and your company is valued at, say, $2 billion, they're not making clear, by the way, what percentage they're going to try and grab every year. But let's assume it's 2%. So let's say that you are talking about a, a $2 billion valuation and you are supposed to pay 2% of that each year of the $2 billion. Well, 2% of $2 billion is about $40 million. Okay, so you, 40 million bucks. Now, let's say that that valuation is not publicly traded stock. Let's say that your $2 billion company is actually a company that does, say, $200 million a year in business. It's got like a, a 10 times gross to, to do some sort of valuation. And let us say that you've been paying yourself a salary every year of maybe $5 million, right? You're paying yourself a, a nice salary. Not like one of these crazy $50 million salary, but, but like $5 million bucks a year because you want your company to grow. So let's say you make $5 million bucks a year. You're not, and your company, and you want 100% of your company, your company is worth $2 billion now. If you sell the stock, then you've realized the gain and you have to pay capital gains, right? That's the current law. But you didn't sell the stock. And the reason you didn't sell the stock is because you want to stay in control of your company. Also, you realize that if you sold the stock, you would lower the value of your company because it would look like you wanted to get out of your own company. This actually happened to Mark Zuckerberg a few years ago. He tried to sell a billion dollars worth of his stock in Facebook and it tanked the stock because people thought that he was trying to sell out of his own company. Okay, so let's say that you've made 5 million bucks a year. Let's say you built this company over the course of the last three years. So you got $15 million in the bank. Now let's put aside expenses, let's say it's 5 million bucks post-tax. You have 15 million bucks in the bank. And now they want to tax you, let's say 2%. On the $2 billion capital gains that you have not realized from your company, your total, your total liquid wealth in the bank right now is $15 bucks, plus stock that you can't really sell. And they're going to tax you at $40 million a year. That would be the simple math there. That's crazy. Okay, and, and again, it's not going to stop here. Once they start saying they're going to tax unrealized gain, you understand that what this is going to do is lead to a radical disincentment from investment. Instead, you're going to see people find places to put their money that is not in this sort of situation. Or they're going to find tax loopholes. They're going to find ways to convey that, that money to a trust, for example, put their stock in a trust. They don't realize the gain. The trust realizes the gain. Right? There are ways that people can work around this sort of stuff. So it simply is not going to come up with the same sort of numbers Democrats think it will. They tried this in France. People found ways around it and started inc incorporating their companies offshore and moving offshore to avoid the wealth tax. But for the, for the Democrats, it's not about anything except for the concept. They want the concept. The reason that Elizabeth Warren is fighting hard here is not because she gives a damn about deficits. Elizabeth Warren is a proponent of modern monetary theory, which suggests that deficits literally do not matter. She says this. She says openly, debt does not matter. Deficits do not matter. Nobody's ever going to call it in. We're still the best economic bet on the block. We can spend as much money as we want. So understand that when she wants a wealth tax, it is not because she cares about filling in the gap created by Democrats' budgeting proposals. She wants a wealth tax because she wants to punish people for investment. She wants a wealth tax because she would love to see all investment taxed at a higher rate for redistributive purposes. And that is the goal here. And then you have the media 
that is pushing this stuff like incredibly hard because they also would like to restructure work. So just in, in, the, in the sort of modern moral parlance of anti-capitalism in the media, the basic idea is that if you invest and you create a company that's worth $2 billion, you should be taxed on the unrealized gains from that company. But if you're a teacher who dumps out of school, you're a hero. That is the way the media treat you right now. Article in the Washington Post today, quote, why so many teachers are thinking of quitting. Seven educators on how the pandemic drove them to finally say enough is enough. Now, let's face it. Teachers who work particularly with public sector unions in states like California and New York have a pretty sweet gig. You can almost never be fired. You have, you have three months of the year off. Your salary and benefits are pretty good. Okay, but the, the idea here is the teachers are the great victims. Now, it may be that kids didn't get educated for over a year here because the teachers' unions decided to basically leave your kid adrift in public school. But it's the teachers who are the heroes. You have an entire left-wing infrastructure that has decided if you stay home from work, you're a hero. If you build a company, you're a villain. That's the essential point here. According to the Washington Post, teachers are dropping out at extraordinary rate. Whoever said those who can't do teach obviously never experienced the modern educational system where teachers do everything. They're more than the people who give math and science lessons. They might find themselves makeshift social workers to troubled students, surrogate parents checking if children eat, security guards breaking up fights, and funders of the most basic of classroom supplies from their own shallow pockets. Now, listen, none of this is to deride what teachers do. Teachers do something quite important. But to pretend it's somehow heroic to walk away from that is insane. And yet that's exactly what this article is about. Teachers aren't the only American workers taking part in the so-called Great Resignation, which has seen many people in many industries leave their jobs since the start of the pandemic to find better pay and satisfaction. But the sheer numbers of those contemplating an exit from the classroom raises the question, what's happening and why? This Washington Post columnist says they interviewed seven public school teachers from around the country who have left their jobs since March 2020 to understand what they faced. The overarching sentiment, quote, teaching was already too much. And with the increased stresses and demands introduced by the pandemic, they'd simply had enough. Their specific reasons for resigning vary. Fear for their health and that of their family. For, for, again, first of all, fear of your health as a teacher is no greater than fear of your, it should be less than fear for your health in any other endeavor in which you have to be in a room with humans. Kids have been transmitting this at not the same rates as adults. Juggling work and parenting from the literal confines of their home. Ex so then why are they quitting? Now they're just going to be at home. Presumably they'll have to find other work, you would think. Existing frustrations with an education system that never quite seemed to meet the needs of students and staff. Some struggled with remote learning. Others didn't want to go back to the classroom. Whatever their particular motivations, these former teachers were ready to move on. While many of them have been isolated from their peers over the past year and a half, they are now united by the bold act of walking away. Bold. It's bold to quit your job now. There's an agenda here. And the agenda is very clear. It is bold to walk away from your job. It is bold to rely on the taxpayers, that is bold. That makes you better. And if you earn, if you build companies for whom hundreds of people will work, thousands of people, you're bad and we should tax you. And we should punish you. Hey, Joe Manchin apparently is, uh, is now warming up to the possibility of a wealth tax to pay for this huge bill. I don't know if Joe Manchin just wants to not win his Senate seat in West Virginia or what. I don't know what Joe Manchin's incentive structure here is to pass Joe Biden's Build Back Better plan. By the way, if Terry McAuliffe narrowly beats Glenn Youngkin by like a point or two, or if he loses, and then Joe Manchin votes for Build Back Better, he's a political fool. Because those states, they're right next door to each other. West Virginia is the reddest state in America. He will not have a Senate seat if he continues along these lines. Manchin apparently is also thinking about a corporate tax hike as well. According to the Associated Press, 
Pivotal Democratic Senator Joe Manchin appears to be on board with White House proposals for new taxes on billionaires and certain corporations to help pay for President Joe Biden's scale-back social services and climate change package. They're not talking about a $1.75 trillion package. That's within a range that could still climb considerably higher, apparently. And again, remember that all the numbers they're throwing around are just a lie. Right? The numbers that they are throwing around are false because they're using false sunsets to pretend that these programs are not going to be re-upped by Democrats. They're kicking in some programs years down the road so that they extend the 10-year timetable to 15, 20 years for some of the programs. So apparently, the, the talk of $3.5 trillion is out the window, but apparently Manchin is now considering the possibility of this wealth tax, and, and so is cinema. So as much as we would hope for the moderation of these particular characters, apparently that moderation is not going to extend to not punishing people for the great sin of creating a business. Okay, meanwhile, the other big story of the day, it is amazing. I will say America's love affair with dogs is pretty astonishing. The, the way that it works in the United States is that the Taliban are, um, the Taliban kill a bunch of American soldiers and behead a bunch of people and take over an entire country. And Americans are like mildly upset about that or pretty upset about that. If we leave the dogs behind, that's a major issue. Okay, in, in similar ways. So Anthony Fauci lied about gain-of-function research. And he, he defined gain-of-function research as gain-of-function within an animal, right? Not gain-of-function, meaning a bat virus is now transmissible among humans. He says that's not gain-of-function. Then there was a letter that just came out from EcoHealth Alliance admitting that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was making bat viruses transmissible to humans by testing it in mice. And so it turns out they were lying the whole time. So Anthony Fauci is out there defending himself on the charge that he lied in front of Congress. I obviously totally disagree with Senator Paul. He's absolutely incorrect. Neither I nor Dr. Francis Collins, the director of the NIH, lied or misled about what we've done. The framework under which we have guidance about the conduct of research that we fund, the funding at the Wuhan Institute was to be able to determine what is out there in the environment in bat viruses in China. Okay, so he's still fibbing about this. People care a lot less about this than the fact that he was experimenting on puppies. Now, isn't that a Bond villain twist? It turns out that the guy who is funding bat coronaviruses at the Wuhan Institute of Virology for gain-of-function research, right? And this is not to suggest that Fauci funded the creation of COVID-19 specifically because the strains of virus that were being researched under the NIH grant were different. But the guy who was funding the Wuhan Institute of Virology and Money is Fungible, the guy who's done a horrible job throughout this pandemic while trying to control all of our lives, it turns out that also he had greenlit experimentation on puppies. Little too on the nose. The writing this year is really on the nose. I got to say this year, so we're in, we're in season, what, six now of Trump? And, uh, and the writing has gotten progressively worse. Like, like most series, once you get past season three, the writing really starts to collapse. And the writing this season has just been really on the nose. According to Yahoo News, Dr. Fauci is facing a demand from lawmakers on both sides of the aisle to divulge information regarding the alleged use of an experimental drug on puppies. Democratic and Republican lawmakers sent a letter Friday to Joe Biden and the NIAID requesting they share information regarding the alleged infection of 44 beagle puppies with parasites in order to test an experimental drug on them, according to The Hill. The letter, written by Republican South Carolina Representative Nancy Mace and 23 other lawmakers, says, quote, we write with grave concerns about reports of costly, cruel, and unnecessary taxpayer-funded experiments on dogs commissioned by the NIAID. Apparently, cordectomies were performed on six- to eight-month-old dogs. Apparently, this is a devocalization. It involves splitting a dog's vocal cords in order to prevent them from barking, howling, or crying. 
It's opposed by the American Veterinary Medical Association and the American Animal Hospital Association. And apparently, they're requesting answers on how many drugs have been performed on dogs since the beginning of 2018. The, uh, the original report is uh, slightly more graphic. Apparently, the parasites with which they were infected were really, like, very, very unpleasant. Apparently, they, they are characterized as cruel puppy experiments. According to the White Coat Waste, they said, quote, our investigators show that Fauci's NIH division shipped part of $375,800 grant to a lab in Tunisia to drug beagles and lock their heads in mesh cages filled with hungry sand flies so that the insects could eat them alive. They also locked beagles alone in cages in the desert overnight for nine consecutive nights to use them as bait to attract infectious sand flies. So basically, they were reenacting the Nicolas Cage scene from Wicker Man. And they're like locking the beagle's head in cages, which is just horrifying with NIH funding. It will be kind of amazing if what brings Anthony Fauci down is that he was mean to dogs, not, you know, the four million dead people across the across the world, thanks to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and also not his complete failures during the pandemic. But Americans do love their dogs. That is for sure. And meanwhile, on the COVID front, uh, I, I will admit that the, the Bond villains are now coming out of the woodwork. So the New, the New Zealand prime minister, Jacinda Ardern, right, who is getting all sorts of plaudits for locking down her entire country, which is basically, uh, what is the population of New Zealand? The, the New Zealand population is something like 5 million and like a couple million hobbits and some sheep. So she locked down her entire country. It was an island. They didn't get a big outbreak. And she was celebrated for this because as it turns out, when you're an island with 5 million people, couple million hobbits and sheep, it's a lot easier to lock down. And then she didn't vaccinate anybody. And then there was an outbreak there anyway. So now they have vaccine passports over there that they're really pushing. And she just admits straight up that she's trying to create two classes of citizens. So you basically said this is going to be like, well, it's almost like I, you probably don't see it like this, the two different classes of people. If you're vaccinated or if you're unvaccinated, you have all these rights. If you are vaccinated. That is what it is. So, yep. 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 And she's smiling while she says, yep. If you're vaccinated, you have all these rights. If you're unvaccinated, you don't have any rights. Man, when they say the quiet part out loud and they celebrate it, it just demonstrates that that if you have populations that are basically willing to concede to anything the so-called experts tell them, they will do anything to you. They will do anything to you. So long as you decide to give up liberty in favor of a little temporary safety, things tend not to work out particularly well, especially when it turns out that your experts are just lying to you, and which they are. I mean, it is amazing. Every time the experts are asked about why they got things wrong, they just have no good answer. Rochelle Walensky over at the CDC was asked over the weekend about the simple fact that everybody from Anthony Fauci to Rochelle Walensky to everybody else were like, we can't have stadiums full of people. Stadiums full of people are bad. And we've had stadiums full of people for months at this point. No major outbreaks at any of the stadiums. Walensky was asked about it, and she still won't back off the idea that it's a really bad thing. What does it tell you that there have not been spikes in most of these communities when you have people crowded into football or baseball stadiums? We would still encourage people who are unvaccinated to wear a mask in those situations. But given that these games are outdoors, that tends to be a much safer environment. Mm. Well, then um, maybe you should have said that, but you won't because it's about the control. It's not about fixing anything. As always, it all, as always, it's about the tyranny and it is about the control already. We'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. In the meantime, go check out The Michael Knowles Show. That's available right now. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. 
If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Knowles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Elliot Feld. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Associate producer, Bradford Carrington. Post producer, Justin Barber. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. The NIH admits that it funded gain-of-function research in China, contrary to what Dak Fauci has been telling us. The CDC director proposes changing the definition of fully vaccinated. And that exalted Dr. Fauci tortures and kills a bunch of puppies. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. Did you know that mRNA vaccines are approved for use in pigs in the United States? Not to mention 85% of the beef sold in your local grocery store is imported. In fact, over 5 billion pounds of meat was imported just last year. There's so much mystery surrounding our meat, which is why I'm so grateful for my Good Rancher subscription. I know that I don't have to worry about imported meat or unknown vaccines in the food that I feed my family. Good Ranchers is saying mRNO to mRNA by offering a free 10-pound Easter ham with any subscription. Unlike the pork from the grocery store, Good Ranchers ham is guaranteed 100% free from mRNA vaccines. This is a $119 value, absolutely free with code DAILYWIRE. Go to GoodRanchers.com and say mRNO to mRNA by subscribing today. You have a right to know exactly what's in your food, and Good Ranchers is dedicated to protecting that right and providing your family with the best meat in America, free from any unknown and potentially harmful additives. Go to GoodRanchers.com and subscribe to any of their boxes and use code DAILYWIRE at checkout. Every subscription will come with a free Heritage Ham, $25 off, and Good Ranchers' lifetime quality commitment. That's GoodRanchers.com, code DAILYWIRE.